Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Joshua Jackson on his Broadway debut, that Dawson's Creek reunion, and the comic book movies that got away. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused, my little old podcast where I talk to big old movie stars, TV stars, comedians, actors, directors, you name it. If they're cool and interesting, they're invited on this show. Uh, And that certainly fits the bill for this week's guest. It is Joshua Jackson making his podcast or Happy, Sad, Confused podcast debut. I don't know if if he's cheated on me with other podcasts. He probably has. That jerk. No, no, we love Joshua Jackson around here. Um, he is, as I mentioned in, in the uh, at the outset, uh, making his Broadway debut. He's certainly done plenty of stage work before, but this is a big step for him. Uh, I know he's very proud of this one, as well he should be. He's currently starring on Broadway in a revival of the acclaimed play Children of a Lesser God. This is, uh, if you know the original film from, oh boy, probably... 30 plus years ago. Uh, it won Marley Matlin and Oscar. It got William Hurt a ton of acclaim. Uh, and the initial uh, performance on stage certainly was no less lauded. And this revival is uh, earning much acclaim for Joshua, his co-stars. It's, it's a fascinating production. If you Just a little tease about what it's about is Joshua basically is playing a teacher uh, to deaf students, and he strikes up a relationship, a romantic relationship with one particular student of his. And it's really about communication and the lack thereof in all its forms. It's a romance, uh, and it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's a really sweet story and features not only a great performance from Joshua, but his leading lady in this is a, a deaf actress who's actually making her acting debut, which is just a phenomenal thing to even think about. So uh, talk to uh, Joshua about a lot of things in this one, including uh, this show, but also, of course, we go down memory lane, talk about Dawson's Creek, the recent reunion of the cast, that reunion that I think none of us saw coming, Uh, some amusing observations about that, Uh, as well as, you know, the usual ups and downs of a career. He's very uh, frank and and forthright about the uh, auditioning experiences he's, he's had. He was actually up for Batman on the Christopher Nolan Batman front before Christian Bale got it. And he reveals to me in this that he was actually also up. I don't think this has been reported anywhere. He auditioned for um, Peter Quill, Star Lord of Guardians of the Galaxy. So, um, but that's all good. Look, that ended up with the right guy, and Joshua is certainly um, forging his own path in the right way. So, very happy for him. If you're in New York, if you're planning a trip to New York, get tickets to see Children of a Lesser God and support uh, Joshua Jackson. Um, speaking of Peter Quill and Star Wars, there are a couple other things I want to mention before we get into the interview this week. First of all, uh, apologies again. Sammy's not with me. She's actually on vacation. Sammy is probably not listening to this as she um, is trying to find Sam Hewen in Scotland. Uh, Sam, if you see uh, someone that looks um, particularly um, wide-eyed and excited to see you, that's probably Sammy, and just run. We know you're a runner, Sam, so just run faster. Um, so hopefully Sammy's having a good time and she'll be back on the podcast very soon. But I did want to mention Avengers. Don't worry, no spoilers here. I'm not going to say anything, but um, man, oh man, it, it broke all the records. And uh, there's a lot to talk about Avengers Infinity War. Um, 
I talked to mo most of the cast, had some, had some really fun interviews with them just about a week ago in Los Angeles. And um, we played some fun games, and it's, uh, it's all on MTV's YouTube page. Uh, actually, MTV News' YouTube page, I think, is the place to look for it. Um, and uh, I tested them in terms of their trivia. I asked uh, how well they know the MCU. It will surprise no one listening to this podcast to know the guy that knows MCU trivia the best, our one and only Tom Hiddleston. Of course Tom does. He's a good student. Uh, and then we played a fun little uh, Know Your Chris's game because there are not one, not two, but three Chris's in the MCU. Um, so there's a lot of fun stuff on, uh, on our YouTube page and on the Facebook page. Check it out. It's on my Twitter feed. You can't miss it. Um, and I will be talking more about the Avengers with a guest or two in the very near future. And that's all I'm going to say about that right now. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is if you follow me on, on social media, you know that I've been spending, uh, I spent about a week in Las Vegas and I'm still alive. I did it. Guys, I actually made some money. I actually gambled a little bit and I made some money, guys. Go gambling. Woo! No, don't gamble. It's, it's a bad idea. But in this case, it was a good idea for me. Anyway, I was in Las Vegas for CinemaCon. CinemaCon, for those that don't know, is this bizarre... It's not for the public. It's for the exhibitors. These are the theater owners. And every year, and I've been going for many years, used to be called Show West back in the day, um, all the exhibitors, all the Regal Cinemas, AMC, etc. Sorry, that's my phone going off. Uh, they all gather in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace in the Celine Dion Theater, and they sit down and watch every studio like basically trots out their biggest movie stars and they trot out their big slate for the year to come. Um, and I always really enjoy it besides I'm not really, I'm not a huge Vegas guy, but I do enjoy it because it's a really good opportunity a to see a lot of cool shit. <laughs> they show a lot of clips and trailers and stuff that you've never seen before anywhere else. And I get to talk to a ton of people. They just bring out every movie star. So I do want to mention just because some of the trailers have hit and some haven't, like they, you know, for instance, they debuted the Venom trailer and then, then that went everywhere. But there's some things that they kept in the room um, that I got to see that you folks haven't seen yet that I want to tease. Um, one, again, podcast listeners probably know by now that I'm a huge uh, Unbreakable fan and Night Shyamalan uh, did a spoiler podcast on Split uh, and indeed his follow-up, Glass, the third in the trilogy, the ultimate sequel to Unbreakable, has actually been shot, guys, and there is a trailer, and I have seen it, and it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Uh, and it, it basically teams up all the characters from Split and Unbreakable and adds Sarah Paulson to the mix, and uh, it, uh, it looks... I mean, I don't know what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting anything because I know Knight likes to play with genre conventions. And uh, I will say I'm still very excited for Glass. That's coming soon. I think it's coming in like January of next year. Uh, other standouts for me, I do want to mention, I mean, my girl Claire Foy, I caught up with there. And I saw not one but two really cool looking films. Uh, the Girl in the Spider's Nest. Is it Spider's Nest? Girl, yeah, Girl in the Spider's Nest. Uh, this is, of course, The Girl the Dragon Tattoo continuation, kind of a reboot. Uh, it's directed by Fede Alvarez, really talented young filmmaker. He did Don't Breathe a couple years ago. Before that, he did the Evil Dead remake. Two genre films that I actually really, really enjoyed. Uh, and this trailer looked great. Claire looks awesome, makes Lizbeth Salander her own. I'm stoked for that one. And I think maybe my favorite looking film of, well, there are two, okay, Star is Born looks great. Star is Born, uh, starring, of course, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, directed by Bradley Cooper. 
we're going to be talking about that all through Oscar season. But Damien Chazelle, back behind the camera, his follow-up follow to La La Land, First Man, about Neil Armstrong, stars Ryan Gosling, Claire Foy, a great supporting cast. Uh, looks epic and heartfelt and emotional and... Um, yeah, it, it kind of like, you know, it, 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 it got me excited. I was already super excited for it, but that might be the, the standout of CinemaCon for me. And I saw a lot of great stuff. So I'm sure I'll think of other things I'll mention on future podcasts, but I wanted to mention a few of those uh, today. Anyway, let's get to the main event today. Uh, Joshua Jackson, uh, star of Children of Lesser God. Um, and this is a great conversation. I always love talking to Joshua. Uh, we did a, a fun sketch a couple years back. You can look uh, look up on, on YouTube. Uh, I guess, what would it have been called? Uh, just look up Joshua Jackson after hours. Google that. You'll find him uh, throwing a red wine in my face. You know, what more can you ask for? Uh, in the meantime, remember, review, rate, subscribe to Happy Sad Confused. Spread the good word. And in the meantime, enjoy this chat with Joshua Jackson. It's always good to have Mr. Joshua Jackson. Thank you for having uh, me. For chat. Josh Jam 2018. Here yeah. we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's been too long, man. Um, congratulations Thank on you. the play. You're currently appearing as if, just to remind you, in case you're not aware of it, because right. it's, it's an easy job to forget. It's my day off. It, yeah, it all fades away. <laughs> you're currently on Broadway in Children of a Lesser God, uh, and it's a hell of an achievement for you in this amazing cast. Uh, and it is your day off, so thank you for spending part of it oh, with me. My pleasure. So I'm always curious about that first, like uh, when I talk to actors in the middle of like a, a grueling theatrical run, um, just like the day to day of it. And like, so this is a day off. Is your head partially in the place? Still, you, you've been doing it a while in different so, incarnations, I mean, you know, the I mean, we just opened last Wednesday. So it's all we're, we're in the beginning phase of, of this run of it. Right. And this particular play is the single most demanding thing that I've ever done in my work life. So to have, it, I, it doesn't ever actually really turn off. Right. Because to learn another language, to be able to perform in that language, to be able to communicate with my cast members in that language, there's not really, there's no off space. And as I'm trying to build my fluency inside of that language, mm. I'm trying to use it as much as I can. And also, as much as it is the single most demanding thing that I've ever done, it is so rewarding. Yeah. Like, it's such a, a joyful thing. So I am exhausted and I'm also completely like filled up. <laughs> and so I'm curious, like in in specifics, like what the work looks like after you've been, you you know you did the play. Where did you do the play initially? In, we, in uh, the Berkshires last summer. Got it. Okay, so Berkshires, and now as you say, you're kind of like relatively in the beginning stages of this run, but you you clearly know this part backwards and forwards as you would have to. So is it? I mean, do you have to still look at the at the play itself? Do you have to bone up in any way? Or yeah, I mean, there's I'm still. So because of this particular play and the amount of text that I have for this play, I mean, I basically speak through the, the two hours of it. Um, there are constantly, there's a couple, there's actually, it's down to two major places that I just can't get right. <laughs> <laughs> so my stage manager literally printed, I think like nine full poster board sized mm -hmm. 
chunks of dialogue <laughs> and just taped them all over my dressing room in between shows oh the other God. night just to try and to remind me. But then there's also, there's just little things every night. And that's the beauty of live theater is that something will change or, yeah. or uh, you know, uh, something will happen. That's actually the, the joy of it. But yeah, it's a, it's a constant process of referring back to the text to put it on stage every night. It's interesting because as we start to get into like what this show is about, for those that don't know, it's almost like there are two different conversations you can have about the show. And that like there's the, the technical side of right. it, which is fascinating and, right. and, and, and thrilling. And as you said, um, the challenge of a lifetime for an actor. Uh, but then thematically, it's also hugely rewarding and fascinating and a show all about communication and discon you know disconnections right. in relationships. Or lack thereof. Exactly. Right. And they, so so last summer my experience of the of the play last summer was technical, mm. right? It was just learning the language and and trying to be able to actually perform the show. So for people who don't know, uh, the the story is a love story between a hearing man and a deaf woman. And she is a Lauren herself, and also the character Sarah is a pure deaf woman. And so that means that if I don't speak in sign, then we can't communicate with right. each other. So I had to just get that to start. This one is now more of like an actor's journey, right? The, now that I know that I can actually sign the play and I right. can get through it from a technical standpoint, this, this process has been the more enjoyable one for me, which is like, oh, right, there's a character that needs to be portrayed here yeah. as well. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, that, so to have that opportunity to come back to this character and to have this like beautiful, beautiful story and be able to dive into it in a much deeper way this time is, is, probably the greatest joy of my work life. Yeah. So when you started to dive into this, because this goes back probably at least a year or two in the first read-through or whatever. The, f uh, the first, yeah, the first read-through would be about 18 months ago now. Okay. So yeah. that's a journey. And uh, I know that the, it's a fascinating story worth retelling about how your leading lady yeah. ended up <laughs> in the show. And it's it's a remarkable feeling. It's also fascinating to not know going in, but we'll, we'll ruin kind of the, the journey that she's been on a little bit because it, it's it's just, uh, it doesn't happen this way. Um, who was, she was an actor. Uh, so yeah, she, so yeah. Lauren, at the point at which this, this journey began for her was a stay-at-home mom. She just had her second kid. So right. she was an educator and had taken a sabbatical for just because two small children in the house and had been teaching our director, Kenny, sign language as he, because his journey in this is like four or five years now. Right. And as he had wanted to put this on, because he's just a good man, wanted to A, understand deaf culture a little bit more, but also wanted to be able to communicate with whomever he was going to cast in this role. And so as he put the first read through together, and we had done a play, and he had asked me at the end of that, like, if I get this together, would, is it something that you'd be interested in? And I love that man and would do literally just about anything for him. Well, I guess literally and just about. Let's go with the other. Yeah, I would literally do anything for that man. So, um, so to once he put it all together, he called me and he was like, look, I've, I've got this cast, and I want to do this read-through. I just can't find my leading lady yet. Mm -hmm. But I have this amazing woman who has been teaching me sign, who is, you know, expressive and beautiful and fierce and has, like, she has a lot of this stuff. She's not an actress, but for the purposes of the read-through, we'll do that. So those read-throughs are broken into two days. And the first day is just rehearsal, so it's just in the company. Uh, all the deaf and hard of hearing uh, cast members had interpreters in the room. So we get through the rehearsal, we're getting towards the end of the day and the climactic scene, and this is not giving anything away in the play because 
no matter how much I tell you about it, it will still have impact sure. when you see it. So that character uses her voice, her, her speaking voice, for the first time. And when we got to that scene, through her interpreter, Lauren told the room, look, I haven't spoken out loud in 25 years, mm. and I'm just not sure if my voice will hold up if I use it two days in a row. So do you mind if I don't speak today, but I will speak tomorrow? And all of the hearing people in the room have that like gobsmacked moment where you're like, wow, I guess that makes sense, but it hadn't occurred to any of us. Like, yeah, yeah of course. So we finish that, get into the next day. We're doing the read-through. The read-through is actually going pretty well. Uh, it's such a crusty room. You know, it's like investors and New York sure. theater people. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been in those rooms where everybody's like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> but, you know, the, the jokes are landing, the thing's working, and, and we get into the second act, and we're going through the second act. Everybody who had been in the room before knew that this wild card thing was about to happen. And we get to that scene, and she unleashes this... I mean, it's hard to describe what it is, but at that point, it's something akin to a primal scream, right? right? She hadn't tried to form vowels or consonants in so long that there was language in there, but the power of it was not the language. The power of it was where it was coming from in her. And myself and every other hearing person in the room just fell out. Like, I, you know, I try as best I can to not cry in public. Um, I, I just started weeping yeah. I didn't I mean it just came out of me and I looked up and Kenny was weeping and all the money people were weeping and it just gets you someplace really really intense and it's a, it's an interesting experience for her and we can talk about that in a second but for all of the hearing people it was just this electric moment and we finish up and I white knuckled it through the last 10 pages of the reading and I'm walking down the street with with Kenny afterwards I'm like Kenny man if she can do that, then that's clearly, like, you found your woman. Like, that is her. And so her journey in 18 months has been from powerhouse woman that she is, but non-actor, to Broadway debut in the single most important role inside of the deaf community and, right. the, and the, the balls, frankly, to take that on and not just do it, but knock it out. I mean, she is... A phenomenon, and it it, does, it is one of those nights of the theater that like it leaves you drained in the best possible way, probably both for the cast and for the people in the audience, right? right? And it, it was, you know, I, I knew this story. I'd seen the film years ago, and then Marley Matlin won the Oscar for it, and of course William Hurt was amazing in it. But so I knew the story, but it was moving in so many different ways. Certainly, that moment you spoke spoke of was very moving. It's also moving, like I mean, you, I realized as I was sitting in the audience that there were many deaf people in the audience, right? And you're you're performing for that community, and you're you're you've probably become a, like a, a strange you know a friend of that community in this journey, and it must be so emotional and surreal um, to acknowledge that and feel that and to see that at the end of the show. To see it at the end of the show, but also it's an incredibly that portion of it is incredibly humbling. So to be a full grown man with my own language, and to suddenly be stripped down to being pre-verbal, yeah. right? Like to the the journey from not one word to being able to perform it for two hours has been incredibly intense. Yeah. And the, the the grace and the patience that, that Lauren and all of our deaf cast members and then the deaf community as they've come to see it have have shown me as they're like, you're on a journey right now and, mm -hmm. the, and the journey's going to be difficult. But to be able to 
invite a, a community that I have existed around but never in through my entire life and to have that, that place of connection now, yeah, it's a, just a tremendous joy every night. Uh, you know, it's funny, I've, I've been reading up like people talking about the play and, and it's always fascinating to look at a play in a in a new time, right? Like the mm -hmm. 2018 versus whenever it was written in the early 80s, right? Uh, something like that. No, 70, well, the first time it was performed was 78, I think it was written in 76. Got it. So I don't I'm, I don't know, I didn't go back to like those original reviews or, or, or contemplations about what the play was about and then the characters, but like your character, for instance, some people have like kind of taken the character to task, like, and, sure. like, and as, I, they, I, as they should. Right. Yeah. I mean, because he is a, you know, know, it is that sort of that classic breakdown sometimes that happens in a relationship where, uh, and, and often for the man uh, towards the woman, in, in thinking they know best and thinking they, you know, the term mansplain in yeah. recent years certainly <laughs> is apropos in this in this case. Um, this must, you know, teach you a little bit about communication and, and, and reflect on your own relationships and family and friends, etc. Uh, sure. I, I mean, so they... Like any really good play, the the things that are important about it shift over time. So when it first came out, the what, the revolutionary act of the play was that it was giving representation not just to a, a deaf woman, but to the deaf community, and showing politically how that community had been uh, sort of shoved off to the side. Right, and it brought them into the uh, like a mainstream conversation. So that conversation has changed for the deaf community. Technology has changed the modes of communication and they have moved beyond the argument, that, that argument inside of the play. But the issue of communication between people <laughs> will, <laughs> remains and will remain forever and ever and right. ever. We didn't solve that one yet? The, yeah, strangely. <laughs> in, in many ways, we've kind of gone backwards. So, so that, which is now, so, you know, if it was a, if the play was a political act in 1980, it's a it is a a universal love story now, yeah. right? That space where a man and a woman, with all of the best intentions and the desire and the love, still can't actually see each other, right? They can't bridge that final gap between the two of them. Right. And yeah, I mean, he is the the James Leeds character is ultimately, I think, a decent but flawed in that very knowable way that mansplaining is the perfect term for it, right? Like, he is a guy who, his heart's so much in the right place, but he has this one blindness that that stops him from being able to actually be the good man that he could be. Right. Did you feel like, you know, where you were at in your career, you needed something like this? Like, this was a kick in the butt or an opportunity that, that felt overdue or... Um... So, I, I was having this conversation last night. The, the so... Theater is not the center of my working life, but in the in the times in which I've done it, it's it's because it's a conversation that I'm having with myself yeah. that I want to work out. And when Kenny and I did Smart People, it was very much that same thing. I read that script and I was like, "This is challenging. It's uncomfortable, and it's a conversation that I'm already like working over in my head, and I want to have the opportunity to go and tell this story." When I read this on the page, it was that same thing of like, "Okay, this is a like." communication, lack thereof, those are, this is something that is important to me. If I had actually known how hard this was going to be, <laughs> right. I'm not sure that I would have had the, the balls to take this on because the, the process of getting from the beginning to being able to perform it every night has been so 
incredibly intense. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine you're using like more of your brain just in terms of focus. Well, than... has, yeah. The, I mean, the, the level of focus is intense. Yeah. The, the performing, cause I'm, I'm kind yeah, of we should, performing we should, we, in three we, different We haven't really talked about, yeah. yeah, let's lay it out a little bit about sort of what you're doing there. Cause I, I was ignorant of this too, kind of sign language versus like, ASL versus sign speak, et cetera. Lay right. it out for us a little bit. Okay. So ASL is the language of deaf people for deaf people. And it's now called, it, it used to be called signed English. So that's in, in the play, we call it signed English, but now it's called PSE, which is pigeon signed English. Mm-hmm. So it's something in between ASL, which is its own language with its own grammar and syntax, and our language, English, just turned into signs. Right. So I'm using PSE in the play. And then there's a third thing, which is simcoming, which is signing and speaking at the same time, right. which they used to try and teach to deaf children, thinking that they needed to have uh, spoken language skills, but it actually turns out that those are two entirely different avenues inside of your brain, and it, it diminishes your ability to learn either language if you're trying to simcom. Mm-hmm. So the simcoming is the hardest part, and there's quite a lot of that in the in the play. Yeah. So are you living the life of a monk right now in terms of like, <laughs> like what happens like after a play? You come down off the play. Do you need a drink, a giant meal, 12, 10 hours of sleep? There's all actually, yes, all three of those things. So like... <laughs> Rye whiskey, immediate food, and then as much sleep as I can possibly get. Because yeah, I mean, I am I'm done by the by the time it's over. Yeah. I have adrenaline for a couple hours, and then there's like just a moment that my that it just turns off, and right. then it's off. Like, there's <laughs> there's no negotiating with that. I just have to collapse. This is your first time on Broadway. You've performed, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, but you, you know, you mentioned the previous collaboration with Kenny, which had a hell of a cast. I'm sorry, I missed that yeah. that production. That was Mahershala was in that. Yeah, Mahershala, Tessa, and Anson. Yeah, amazing. Just amazing. So is there, I mean, obviously there are unique challenges and we've kind of outlined them for this specific, uh, this specific production, but is there a discernible Broadway versus off-Broadway different? Like how would you kind of like, I mean, from the inside, no, the pressure is the pressure. It's, it's the specifics of this character in this play. Like I have never taken on something as intense as this, right? The, the, and the responsibility of being the leading man of this play also with a deaf actress is that. There, you know, like, I can't break the the trust between the two of us. Like, right. Because she's a deaf woman, there is, if I go to a wrong place and I'm out of her peripheral vision, I just disappear for her. I'm right. not there, right? And so in a, in a truly unique way that I have never experienced before, uh, the trust that she has to put in me to, like, accept that I will be, you know, where I'm supposed to be, when right. I'm supposed to be there, doing the things I'm supposed to be doing is truly unique to this. So... The broader pressures of Broadway, obviously, it's I mean, it's the literally the biggest stage you can be on. But the specifics of it, you know, that that the, res- the sense of responsibility that I felt last summer when we were doing the out of town run is the same as I feel now. Got it. So, so in the middle of this great moment, like like a zombie that can't be killed, Dawson's Creek <laughs> yeah, comes back. Totally. <laughs> Like it's kind of ironic, you have to admit. That yeah, well, I mean, not it's just always like, part of your life, but yes. like in the, in particular the last few weeks when the EW reunion happened, suddenly, which was okay. So inside of my life, <laughs> the weirdness of coming out of my rehearsal space, I hadn't had an actual day off in I think like fourteen or fifteen days, and you know the rehearsal space for this is so intense. Yeah, and then my day off on a Monday. I'm like having my high school reunion at a photo shoot. It was so bizarre. You're like, did did Kenny give me some peyote when I wasn't yeah, looking? What's... I'm like, is this really? It's, it is one of those moments where you're like, I know that this is real life, 
but really is this happening right now in my, in my life? <laughs> Were you surprised it actually happened that like all, particularly the, the core four, if we want to call you guys that, like all showed? I, the, I'm not surprised because, and I, 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 I won't spill the tea on everybody, but everybody got... <laughs> was there a trickle that like once one was in, then kind yeah, of like... It's, yes, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. there was sort I of can, like... I can make some guesses. Everybody kind of got bought <laughs> off in their own particular ways. Um, and, and ultimately, I'm glad that we did it. Like, I was pretty resistant, but uh, ultimately, I'm glad that we did it. Yeah. Did the dynamic feel similar like where you left off you've all lived lives several yeah, I mean, lives since then yeah, that's the thing it's like it, it's it was it, it's nice to see everybody but we literally had not all been in a room you know I, i've seen everybody individually over the years but we had not all been in a room since the last time yeah since the show went off so that's 15 years or 14 years whatever that is um so yeah i mean it's like how your wife how your kids <laughs> how your, like there's a whole <laughs> journey that has happened in between yeah and yeah, it was a very, it was a, it was a funny, it was a nice, a, a nice day, but a very strange day. Was the fear in some ways that it would reignite like all the questions that every journalist and every person on the street comes at you with anyway and says, oh, you guys are back together. So the reunion's going to happen right. again. Like, cause the, I mean, thankfully the reunion can't happen because we killed Michelle. Right. <laughs> Thank like, God for that choice. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> Kevin really put a spike in that. So, so I, the, yeah, I, the I mean, question will be there for regardless forever, yeah, exactly. the rest of your so life. So the and and I and honestly, the I have such a a, um, a fond place in my heart for that show and that time in my life. Like it probably went on a little bit longer than it should have, right. but but it changed my life. Right? I, had that show not happened, I'm probably not sitting here right now right. doing this. Right? So there's no part of me that that uh, looks down on that time or that experience in my life. But it is a long time ago, <laughs> and it is not a a present thing for me. No, of course. That's the bizarre thing. Like, I just had, uh, in a much different way, but in some similar ways, I had Ben McKenzie in here, who's on that show, Gotham. Right. And I feel like you guys could start the support group. Cause you, like, <laughs> like, cause, and he was very open with me, too. Like, because I'm sure you've, you've reconciled it ten different ways over the years, and like... I mean, was there was there like a a point in the last what ten fifteen years we're saying since the show where you bottomed out in terms of like if one more fucking person says hi Pacey to me on the street, I'm not going to injure them, but I might punch a wall. I, uh, not really. I mean, the, the like, I'm pretty thankful about the way that my life has turned out. Yeah, and so it's hard for me to. It's the same with the Mighty Ducks thing. Like it, it, it like touched people in a very specific way, and it, it like is an important moment in a lot of people's lives. And the truth of the matter is, is that like that's kind of what we do this for, right? 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 <laughs> so, so yeah, no, like it doesn't. No, I, I mean, I don't know if I if I end up like broken on the street, then yeah, maybe that would be annoying. But so far as things are going so far, knock on wood, yes, I'm good with it. Um, uh, let's go back a little bit since we, we have some time. So I know um, your mom was a casting director. Mm -hmm. And so was she also your entry point into kind of – you were talking about the Big Trouble in Little China poster I have in my, uh, my office. That was clearly a uh, film like – just as for me, it, it touched you in an important way. <laughs> um, but like was she the person that guided you through pop culture, through film and TV? Did you find it on your own? Well, give me a sense of where you kind of Well, yeah, no, passion. but the – my mom not – I mean, I guess it's core to her who she is. So mom 
gave me and my we should say my little sisters in the room here audience um, yeah being how are we doing we're being doing an okay. excellent excellent <laughs> little sister um but so for both of us mom gave us uh, a what would probably be considered like an inappropriately broad uh pop culture education okay because i remember being a kid and like once i got invited into like these are important movies this is important like you need to be reading this stuff that is ahead of where you are, but you'll, when you get there, you're right. going to appreciate that I gave you this. So yeah, she absolutely, I mean, the, the my like film is a very important thing for my mom, and thus it became a very important thing for me. And, you know, getting, I, I remember being a kid and getting invited into that space of like, okay, this is this is real stuff now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm trusting that you're going to be able to figure this out eventually. So yeah, I mean, that's been in the DNA for, since the time I was a little kid. So what were the, the passions in terms of actors or comics or genres or whatever? Run through a couple. Like what would have been either so, literally on your walls or metaphorically on your walls as a kid? The first time I understood what acting was was actually seeing um, Rain Man. And we walked out and I had never seen Pacino before. And we walked out and I... And the Hoffman you're saying? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Hoffman, yeah. yeah. Um, Clearly left a deep mark. <laughs> Whoops. Um, but uh, so Not I, the first I'd, to make that mistake. Right. So I had never seen Dustin Hoffman before because I was a kid, and right. and we walked out, and I so distinctly remember having the conversation with my mom and being like, "Wow, that's amazing that they found somebody who could do that." And she's right. like, "Well, no, he." And then you know, she eventually showed me some other films of his. He's like, "He, that's a character that he puts on," and that was just <laughs> mind blowing to me. Like, what? <laughs> and. I, I like that's not what started off my acting love, but it was mm-hmm. the first time that I really get, sort of got like, oh wow, you can go and tell stories. Yeah, like, that's what this is. Like you can go and tell stories and and embody something and touch people. Right, as a little kid, I was like, that is amazing. That's the craziest thing. Like that human was a different human for the two hours that I was watching that yeah. movie. Did she have tips for you uh, on auditions growing up as, as a casting director? Well. Auditions, not so much. So, so my mom was very. My mom was a single mother. So, the beginning of my work life was as a stand-in, as an and an extra, mostly so she could kind of know where I was on the weekends, and she was very hesitant to let me get into that place, which I understand now as a grown person, just because the work. I mean the 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 environment of a set is not appropriate for children mostly, and it was more that she didn't really give me tips on auditioning she gave me tips on like how to be in a professional space Mm -hmm. as a young person and was much more concerned that if I was going to go down that path that I'd be a professional person in that space which was so immensely helpful because I see it all the time when I'm working with younger actors like you come into the space and it has its own language and it runs at its own pace and and there's so much going on yeah. that it can be really off-putting and I see it throw people who are you know who who would be able to give a performance but now suddenly are shocked out of it well it throws adults too for yeah, that matter absolutely. I mean yeah. the whole hierarchy on a set where like you know what, what can I get you at any moment yeah. will screw up most grounded adult yeah, let alone well, a kid that doesn't know anybody yeah exactly like there's there's yeah there's there's many different uh, traps inside of that life that can <laughs> that can lead you down a bad path. Was so Mighty Ducks was though like the break, I guess, the first big yeah. film, right? It, I mean, I had done a couple of things before that, but yeah, Mighty Ducks was the first. It was also the first time that I that I traveled for work, which is sounds silly, but 
you know, as a, how was I, 13. So it was the first time that I left because mom had another child. And, and uh, so I left and went into a work environment where she trusted me to like go and be responsible. Obviously there was somebody, an adult with me, but to go and be responsible and do that right. outside of the family life. So that was like a major step in my life. And I mean, you know, you've, you've, to your credit, you've consistently worked in the last almost 30 years yeah. or so we're talking, 30, right? I'll be, it'll be 30 years, not this year, but next year. My next, so my career started on my birthday, on my 11th birthday. I'm turning 40 this, this year. So not this one, but next one, I will actually be 30 years in the business. My crazy. I got my first job on my birthday. Crazy. So, okay. So was there, <laughs> was there ever a moment of considering a, a different option? Like in those teen oh, years, shit, yeah. was there... I mean, I mean, it's not considering. It's the, that's the nice way to put it. The, the business left me <laughs> twice, right? So the, the first real crisis moment I had was at like 17. I, I, I had grown but not grown. I, had, I, was not the, I wasn't a cute kid anymore. It was a, many, many, many years from being anything approximating a man. And the work just dried up for me. It, it's actually like, under, I don't know what star I was born under, but the, the way in which my career was saved by Dawson's Creek only happened because everything had gone to shit before and a job that I was supposed to do a year earlier got pushed off because they lost their funding this movie called App Pupil and oh, right. yeah. I, App Pupil brought me down to LA and while I was in LA I started doing some auditions and one of those auditions was Dawson's Creek so if App Pupil had happened when it was supposed to happen I never would have auditioned for Dawson's Creek I would have done a supporting role in App Pupil and then I probably would have like gone to community college and gone into a very different life. Right. So yeah, it's it's happened twice. And then after Dawson's as well, I was so burnt out after Dawson's that it was going to the West End and doing that play with Patrick Stewart right. that like reminded me, oh right, this isn't just a task. This is this is a core part of who I am, and I love doing this. But yeah, there's been a couple. There's definitely been a couple moments. Were, were there conversations? So that was basically, you, as you said, you go to the West End uh, after six years, 120 plus episodes of Dawson's. I'm always amazed when I talk to actors from like, you know, any era outside of this era. Basically, right. the last five years where we went into the charmed like 10 episode right. life. <laughs> like you know, I mean, I had, like it's Julie, so nice. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. It's so so nice. Like, oh God, I got 10 episodes this year. Oh, I don't know how I'm gonna make it through. Like you were, I mean, we were doing 13 before Christmas. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, it's just a different <laughs> universe. And not to mention you're kind of in a bunker in Wilmington. Like, Which was actually a good thing. Really? Yeah. I mean, imagine. So Ben McKenzie would, would actually would be an interesting person to talk to about this because that show was our show. And... <laughs> They were doing it in L.A. Right. And when they became popular That's in the L.A. dangerous It is the alchemy. most... Right. So <laughs> I, if I was 19 years old and suddenly was making money and, yeah. and was popular and on TV and all the rest of those things, and I was doing it in a major city, it would have been a problem. <laughs> <laughs> did you... Did you... It seems like you've avoided being uh, your douchebag years. Like, I mean, were there, was there a, a, a period in the Dawson's years? Oh, looking to his sister. Oh, look at that. <laughs> like a supportive Solid sister. sister. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, what was your low point of like, did it ever get they, to your head a little bit? Of course it did, yeah. From the ASCAP. Oh, yeah. Well, ASCAP that was, but that was later. That was a grown man. You had three Teen Choice Awards in a row, man. You can't have a level the, head. The, but the, well, I mean, thankfully, my, anytime I like, went to Douchebag Place was 
pre-social media. Right. <laughs> so I got to make those mistakes on my own time and then have them fall down the memory hole. But yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I've, I've made some questionable choices over the course of a lifetime. That's kind of what being alive is, right? Like, I am, right. I am, I am not ever going to be sainted. <laughs> what's, the, what's the greatest learning from working with someone like Patrick Stewart um, in, in that experience? David Mamet play, right, at West End. Um, I mean, he's also somebody, frankly, he, you know, he's been living down Star Trek for yeah, 30 and years. Still, I, mean, I mean, I was on stage with him. He, so that thing that he did in Star Trek is just a nervous tick of his where he pulls down the bottom of, of his shirt. Right. And when he does it, when there's Trek people in the audience, oh everybody's God. like, no. And this, <laughs> this is a guy who, before Star Trek ever happened, had done 25 years of Royal Shakespeare. He's like right. one of the great actors on the planet. And yeah, he's just got to be... Captain Picard for the rest of his life, so far as people, are, and now he's Professor X as well. Like the I, so, yeah, the thing that I learned mo most from Patrick one was grace. So that was the first time that I had been on stage in eight years, maybe at that point. Mm. And Patrick is one of the the great stage actors. Yeah. And had he wanted to make my life miserable, he very much could have. And instead, he did the exact opposite. He took the opportunity to teach up a young actor whose desire and heart was in the right place, but didn't have any stagecraft yet. Mm. And that experience of, of trust between these, you know, a, an older man and a younger man, of like, thank you so much for creating the space for me to learn, to try and get, you know, catch up to you as far as I can over the course of this process. Yeah. And then also that it's a career, not not uh, an occasion, right? That you do this and then and you you know you sally forth and you do the next thing, and just being able to be around him and to hear stories of like, oh right, you've been doing this now for for at that point you know fifty of your sixty years, yeah. and 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 I'm allowed to want that for myself, right? It was it, it took Dawson's was the first time that I I allowed myself to think that I could be a professional actor, mm. which sounds strange because I was years into my career, but it always felt like something that, that, I, that I wasn't allowed to ask for, that I wasn't, that, that was an, a, a happy accident. Right. And then suddenly I was doing this thing and so for five and a half years I was doing, so that was my job, but it wasn't really until working with, with Patrick that I was like, oh, I get to do this, should I, you know, be good and continue to grow? I get to do this for the rest of my life. Like, this is what I am going yeah. to do with my life. It's interesting when you look, I mean, I don't know if you would agree with this, but like, it's in theater and television, it sounds like, where you've really found yourself more creatively stimulated than film, generally speaking, over the yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, it, and the truth is, like, I haven't made a film now in a couple of years, so the, the places that I've been able to tell the stories that I'm most interested in have definitely, well, that's actually not fair. They, I have worked on some films that have been incredibly rewarding experiences, but the bulk of my work life has been in television. Right. So, you know, at this point I've spent uh, 15 years working on television shows. Yeah. Is that right? Well, you, I mean, you look at 120 episodes of Dawson's, 100 yeah. episodes of Fringe. Yeah, and now, whatever we 30, are 40 of, 40 of, yeah. 40 of The Affair. Yeah. So, so that's that's a shitload of work, yeah. <laughs> and so so yeah, I mean that has been the place just that by I've sheer like number forged yeah. Yeah, myself yeah. as a as a professional. You, uh, I, I, I Frank, I, I, I've never seen this film, but I was just curious when I saw that you had worked with him, uh, Dennis Hopper in a, yeah. in a film, Americano, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know any memories of working with Dennis. Yeah, sure. I mean, he well, he I mean he's a fascinating man. Yeah. And at that point, he was sort of a lion in winter, right? So right. to be around him 
but to be around him in a space, and there was a, a, a experimental film, and to be around him in a space where he was working on an experimental film, and to just hear the stories that that man has, ha, had had um, was tremendous. And he is such a was such a interesting, bizarre in the best possible way, right. but recordist of his own life. Mm. Like he could, he had a he, the 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 things that he had seen and done are <laughs> tremendous and given the level of self-abuse that he had put that himself through. That he still through, could recount the, fact, the stories. Yeah, yeah. He, would, he would be like, oh, I remember this one time in 1962. And you're like, you do? I'll be honest, <laughs> that's surprising to me. <laughs> it's, you traveled, where did you shoot that one? That was Spain. Spain, right? Yeah. It seems like travels. Actually, Spain, but really truly in the Basque country. Got it. So for anybody who is his Basque, they will understand the difference. Right. So the, in the Basque country, so it was very specifically around the Basque country and the Basque, uh, the Basque culture. It seems like travel has been a very important part of your life. I mean, you, you made a trip to India last year, mm -hmm. right? And it seems like, I don't know, judging from someone's social media, <laughs> it seems like you enjoy Believe a good trip. thing you see on the well, internet. Well, I mean, maybe um, that's the, the Joshua you're trying to portray. The, uh, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the newest mask. But, but yes, no, travel is, 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 travel is very important. And that's another thing that my mom gave us when we were growing up. So my mother's Irish. Mm -hmm. And by virtue of that, we had to make that trip multiple times as we were kids. And so it just expanded the possibility of what the world was. Um, and there's just so much, like we are part of the first generation of people who have ever existed that can actually see the entire planet. And it's all right there at your fingertips. Yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, before I'm done, I want to see as much as it has. What's on I the list? We can. Well, India was big up on the list. Um, and I, I would actually like to go back because it's such a gigantic country. So I, I was in the north in Rajasthan. I, I would like to spend some more time in South America. I haven't really spent a ton of time down there. And other than that, like, what's on the list is all of it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have this idea in my head, I really want to go skiing in, in Iran. Is, is Iran known for its skiing? It is apparently one of the great, like the mountains in Iran are, are some of the great mountains in the world. And because of the political climate, people don't really use them. Right. So I have this like wild idea in my head that I want to go skiing in Iran next year. Are you, as you approach 40, are you uh, gun shy about experiences that might, because you, you were motorcycling through India, which can't be like on the list of top 100 safest activities it on the planet. It is probably the craziest, like fit, it's the most physical jeopardy <laughs> that I think I've ever put myself in on a moment to moment basis. So clearly as you approach your 40s, you're not yet um, embracing your mortality, your, your, no, your... no. I, I mean the, no, personality wise, that's, I, I, I hope I never make that turn, but that's just not who I am. Like, <laughs> I, I like to lean into things like that. Are you, are you surprised? Like, uh, are you surprised that you're like, are you dealing with the same shit you've been dealing with for 20 years as you hit a big number like 40, or do you feel like you have mm -hmm. made some major strides in the last decade? I like to so. think that I've made some, <laughs> 30 was a big one. Like the, the, Turning the corner on 30 was actually pretty tremendous. And I, you know, before it, everybody says, oh, it's a big birthday, and I didn't quite get it. But everything just got so much easier <laughs> after 30. Yeah. And so I don't know what 40 is going to be, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the core issues that you deal with as a human being, I think those are the core issues that you carry with you for the rest of your life. Right. But it's just so much nicer to be this age than it was to be like, 22 was hard. Yeah. 39 <laughs> is not that hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is there... Would you consider yourself ambitious as an actor now? Have you always been? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like, I mean, are you the kind of person that like an experience like this makes you want to raise the bar and, and decide like what's like, can you envision what a cha- what would be as challenging in this as this? And is that intriguing? From a technical standpoint, I'm not sure that I'll ever find something that's as challenging as this role. Yeah. So whatever comes next will be a, a, a letdown in that way. But yeah, I mean, it's part of the reason, like I said, the when I came off Fringe, I was again burnt out like the those network tv shows are just hard like physically that labor is difficult yeah and and also creatively it's difficult because you're you're putting so much stuff out there and you're doing it at such a pace that you're never really ahead of the work you're always you're always fighting to keep your head above water which is a kind of a heartbreaking place to work from right so to the reason why other than the fact that the script was so good but the reason why i took the affair was because it was a manageable amount of work, right. it was a supporting character, and it was really well written. So I was like, okay, this is something I can go and see if I'm any good, honestly. I was having that moment again of like, I'm not sure that I'm a very good actor. So to take that on was just something, I just needed to prove to myself again whether I thought I was any good at this job. Right. And that's why I took smart people, and that's why I dove into this, not quite understanding what the requirements were going to be, but. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I would hope that we're having this conversation in another 10 years right. and, I'm, and I'm still, fi- you know, whatever the thing is that I'm finding something that keeps me engaged because the, there is a way to do this job cynically, but I don't ever want to get to that place. Right. I, and that, you know what, to be fair, I have done it sometimes. Like mm-hmm. you just get through and you're just doing the work, but it's so much more satisfying when you're fully this engaged. This reminds you of the good way it can be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you... Um, it sounds like you're, you're reasonably self-critical. I think hopefully in a positive way, using it for good. <laughs> Every Jackson in the room no, shakes their head. No, yeah. Yep. Yeah. There is no, there is, there, uh, yeah. There is no greater critic of me than me. <laughs> Did it, you know, uh, the, 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 the sad reality of the internet is that like when you're up for a big role, it will haunt you forever. So like Batman, for instance, was one that you... They made the right choice, sadly. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know. I mean, yes, he was amazing, he obviously. Was amazing, yeah. Um what was do, do you remember? Like, did you get to put on the bat suit for uh, Mr. Did. Nolan? I put on the bat suit. I put on. I can't remember. I didn't have nipples, so it wasn't that <laughs> one. But I did put on the bat suit, and I have. But the, what the, what sucked about that is I kind of had the understanding that I wasn't going to get that job, but um, they wouldn't let me take pictures <laughs> because <laughs> obviously. But I was like, just for myself, I really have right. to have just one photo. In the bat suit, like I just like this is happening. I'm in the bat suit yeah. right now, doing the thing, and you're going to make me not be able to show this to anybody. Oh, but yeah, so I did put on the bat suit. That's so funny. I can't uh, now. I'm blanking. Someone I've had in here put on the Superman uh, costume and went into the bathroom and took photos of himself because he it was just like, I have to document this. Yeah, fair. <laughs> I totally. Like I wish that I had done that because I was in the bat suit for half a day. <laughs> navigating a space, doing a scene on camera as Batman, and that was awesome. <laughs> does, something, does something about the Batsuit make you do the, the growl, do the like husky well, voice but thing? But the growl, that was new, right? The, right. the voice was his, his addition, and I, Nolan had the idea because he was asking everybody, like, the voice needs to shift between Bruce Wayne and right. Batman. But uh, no. You went to a high-pitched, like, yeah. squeaky thing, which might have been, in retrospect, a bad call. Yeah, I think I, it was a choice, <laughs> and maybe, maybe the wrong choice, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and was Star Trek one that you thought was a possibility? Captain Kirk was apparently... Um, but that led to Fringe, it seems like, your, your, your audition well, for J.J. Yeah, I knew J.J. Uh, yeah, maybe, actually, I'm trying to remember the timing on that. 
I knew JJ from before because he had been on the WB at the same time, so I knew him sort of at the beginning of uh, his TV life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I had known him, but yeah, maybe it was the audition. I can't remember whether... Oh yeah, no, it definitely was because then, then I had to go and... Yeah, so maybe. maybe. Yeah. I mean, are you, what's your appetite as a consumer of film? Like, Do you like franchise stuff? Like, is, Do you have a favorite kind of those ilk? Or I mean, you... I'm a, a comic book nerd in my heart of hearts, so all of those films I will go and see. But I feel, it's funny, we were having this conversation last night, like, Marvel has turned a corner in the, the kinds of movies that they're making, or, or I guess they've kind of realized that they're a lot, that, that superhero is not a genre, that... Right, it's that, a, it can encompass everything. Everything, now. right. <laughs> and so as soon as they started expanding what they like, allow themselves to do, those movies have become awesome. It's true, I was right? thinking about that too. The last year, if you look at Thor... From, um, well, I would start it at the first Guardians of the right, Galaxy movie. Right. That's but, when they realized they could take yeah. risks and, and reap rewards. And be awesome, yeah. right? Like, I, wa- I walked out of that Guardians, I was like, man! And I auditioned for that one, too. There's another one where they chose the right guy. But I was like, dude, that kicked ass. That was amazing. And the last Thor movie, and now Black Panther? Like, what? I know. I mean, Black Panther is legitimately a great movie. Yeah. Not a great superhero movie, yeah. just a great movie. And the last Thor was the Thor, mind-boggling. Arguably the best comedy of last year would I would right, count as Thor. Right, yes. <laughs> but also and, and because they have, you know, that ridiculous budget and they had and that director has a, an imagination and he's willing to like, like the colors that they use, yeah. the like the taking these themes of all the stuff that we grew up with, like it was just such an imaginative movie. Yeah. Rather than, you know, some a lot of times when you're when you're dealing in franchise world because there's so many cooks in that kitchen, it becomes the like the weakest possible tea version yes. yep. of that film. And Marvel has just gone there. They're like, nope, we're, we're going in the, <laughs> the opposite other direction <laughs> completely. Well, they're realizing that 19 films in, you can't, I mean, I guess you could keep serving well, up the could, same thing. Exactly. Like but, corporate logic is that like, yes. we'll just keep on making this diminishing thing until it dies. Yeah. But I am not, I'm not party to these conversations, but somewhere inside of that, they were like, we're going to, we're going to grow some big brass balls and just <laughs> try some stuff. Right. Like, yeah, it's just craziness that. That inside of a massive billion, multi-billion dollar corporate world, they were like, what's the most unlikely thing that we could do? Okay, we're going to do like a, a neon carnival 1980s <laughs> retrospective in space with a character that has already been established. Totally. And, and just see what happens. Like, let's just make it neon. It's going to be neon. <laughs> I'm sure a focus group arrived at that, right? No. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Are you fine to be a fan of it at this point? You said uh, even as recently as a few years ago, you had a Star Wars audition. Like, so do you? Are you still? Well, the I, I'm kind of aged out of. of <laughs> Don't say that. Well, sadly, I mean it's true. Like, you know, I've been working long enough. I, di- I didn't catch on to the to the superhero train. <laughs> I just think I've kind of aged out of tights. No. <laughs> Don't say that. Well, thankfully, you have not aged out of wonderful performances like the one you're delivering right now on Broadway, Children of a Lesser God. Uh, what a segue. Um, uh, no, honestly, congratulations on it, man. It's, it's, a, it's an, a special piece of work, and, and you know you should enjoy this ride because it's, these don't come, as you well they know, do they don't yeah. come very often. Uh, everybody should check it out if you have the opportunity, if you're in New York, and uh, you're welcome anytime, man. Good to Thanks. see you. Good to see you, too. Thanks, buddy. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. (laughs) 